This is Chelsea, your co-host of the Welfare Culture Podcast, and we're back with season two. Today, we're going to talk all about maintaining wellness while traveling. As you know, Thosh and I travel a lot, and we're pretty good at it. Over the years, we've refined our skills when it comes to how to move, how to eat, and even how to stay spiritually grounded while we're on the road. We're going to share these tips with you today, and hopefully you'll learn something that will be helpful for you. Skakdash relatives, skaksiardik, hihani washte, minogijigad, whatever it is for you, whether it's morning, middle of the day, or the evening, I hope that you are all in good spirits and you're doing well. And I want to give thanks to the springtime that is upon us now in Arizona, and it's a beautiful time for us. It's a time for renewal. So we're really, really excited to get back into recording more episodes of the Welfare Culture Podcast. There's so much more to be sharing. And as Chelsea said, one of the things that we find challenging and are always looking for ways to improve on is maintaining our wellness when we're traveling. And we also get a lot of friends out there on social media and just around native country that ask us advice on, you know, what do you do when you're traveling a lot to, to stay well? And so we wanted to talk about that in this episode. So of course, the foundation of our wellness journey is starts with our spirit. That's, that's what we follow as, 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 as a family, as individuals. And that's what we try to maintain when we're on the road. And that's, that's what we also start with before we leave. Before we leave the house, a lot of times, especially if we're taking a road trip um, or taking a long flight or any, any kind of travel, we always sit down and we always give thanks and we always use our medicines to you know, cleanse us and to protect us. And we try to pray about visualize and visualizing a positive uh, journey. You know, from beginning to end, we visualize ourselves even coming back to our home fulfilled and feeling good that we did something good and we had good travel experiences. So we always do that. We'll smudge and we'll sit down, we'll give thanks for everything in our life, and we'll, we'll pray that our work also positively impacts the people, the communities that we're working with. And so we always bring our, our items with us on the road, our items for protection with us um, on the road. And I'm sure many of you do as well. And that's always a good thing to have. It's a good thing to keep us grounded and protected. Uh, something sacred and special to you and your family from your homeland. It's good to carry that with you, whatever you travel there. It keeps us grounded spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally, all of that. A lot of people say, I've heard this teaching a lot, that when you fly somewhere or when you drive far away from your home, that you have to allow your spirit to catch up to you once you get there. And that's another reason why it's really important to... Um, stay connected and keep your medicines with you as you travel. And of course, this teaching um, isn't going to apply to you if, if you know, spirituality isn't something that you were raised with. But, um, but if it is, and if that's a part of your wellness journey, then, you know, don't be afraid to travel with those items. Um, I've heard people actually have questions or concerns before about if they bring sacred tobacco or sage or things like that with them on an airplane, is it going to get confiscated? Um, that's never happened to us before. And uh, remember that you have rights, you have uh, religious freedom uh, protection. And so uh, if something like that ever happens to you, that's definitely a big issue that you could uh, very well bring up uh, with uh, 
a higher authority. So don't ever let uh, a security guard take away your sage or anything like that. Yeah, that's a good point. And I've traveled a lot of time with my feathers and other sacred items like my instruments and stuff. And if for whatever reason, the the TSA person had to go through and open up my bag, I just pointed out to pointed it to them. I said, that's a, a very sacred religious item. And I, and I use religious, and I don't use that term personally a lot to describe myself or my things. But if I say that to them, then that's the only context they have for something being sacred and, you know, spiritual. So, so if I say that and I tell them, then they don't touch it. They're like, oh, okay. And I'll have like my, my gourd that I sing with wrapped in a handkerchief. And then I'll I point to it and tell them that those are, that's a sacred item right there. And so they just don't touch it and they respect it. So I've never had a problem with that myself. If you meditate of any sort, I know that sometimes it's, it's hard to try to keep on that schedule when you start to travel. But um, I also find that sometimes if I'm off schedule for meditating at home and then sometimes when I travel, um, you know, you're kind of in a different space and I'll, I'll feel more, uh, I guess, uh, like it's easier or I'll feel better about, you know, I better meditate this morning because I'm traveling and, you know, my mind needs to be in the right space. So especially if I travel by myself, then, you know, I can get up in the morning and meditate first or come back to the hotel room or the Airbnb in the middle of the day and and do a, a meditation um, for the, the late afternoon, early evening. But it's something that's really good to try to maintain if you can, because when we travel a lot, right, we are, our attention is all over the place. And if we're able to meditate, we're able to recenter a lot of our thinking and all that stuff. And it really can, kind of keeps us grounded all around. And remember, our people have always practiced some form of whether it's conscious breathing or sitting in silence for a period of time, um, any kind of practice where you are focused on your mind, focused on being present. Uh, if you're uncomfortable with the word meditation, or if that sounds intimidating to you, just know that our people have always done these things and there's not really a wrong way to meditate or to sit in silence or to just have reverence for that moment in time that you're in. So we'll talk more about that in the future, but remember conscious breathing, meditation, sitting in prayer, whatever you want to call it, having some time to sort of catch up with your own self and your own spirit is always a healthy practice. And if you reflect back on our seven circles of wellness, you'll see that sleep is also an important component in our life that determines our health. And I know that sometimes that can be challenging when you're traveling. You can be off your schedule of waking up, off your schedule of eating, off your schedule of meditating, exercising, and sleeping. But this is something that you could really constantly try to maintain as you, as you travel is maintaining going to sleep at the same time. If you can, in our household, we start trying to get ready for bed anywhere between 8.30 to 9.30. I personally try to be asleep. I try to be in my first stages of sleep by like 10, 1030. And cause I get up like around and be anywhere between five and six. And uh, sometimes this is, is hard to try to stay on track when you're traveling, but this is something that you could really make effort to try to do. It's important for your body's circadian rhythm to be always waking up at the same time, sleeping at the same time, eating and exercising at the same time. And this just helps things flow much better and it just assists in our general wellness. And 
And when we travel to a place where we're two and three hours behind, we just try to adjust as, as quick as we can. We try to wake up still around 6 a.m. and get going for the day. Even if in Arizona time, it's 4 a.m. for us, we still try to maintain and uh, wake up at the same time. And I find that if I make a conscious effort in doing that, then I actually jump on track with that that schedule of wherever I am at that time. One of the other foundations to staying well on the road is always keeping what you're eating, keeping that um, as, as good and as well as, as possible. And when you're out there on the road, it's a little challenging sometimes. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes you go to a place where there's a lot of accessibility to whole foods and say, if we are about to leave the home, whether it be flying somewhere or a road trip, we like to eat before we travel at home. And sometimes it's early in the morning and we'll still eat because usually when we're at home in our schedule, we don't eat till later on, till about 9.30, 10, sometimes 11. But when we travel, we like to eat first thing before we leave because we want to be nice and satiated while we're traveling at the airport. That way we are not tempted to go and pick up some processed food or something that we are going to regret a little bit later. So what we always like to eat in the mornings, we like to eat high satiating foods like some good whole eggs, organic. We like to eat some type of um, good grass fed protein or wild game protein, wild meat. Uh, one of the things that that we stay away from typically in the morning is high carb meals, such as like oatmeal and things like that, or too much grain stuff, or, you know, um, and we'll have stuff like that here and there, but we try to really stay away from relying on that as our source of, of nutrients, especially before we travel, because for us, we're highly insulin sensitive because we train a lot or we fast. And so if we eat something high carb, we're pretty, we're pretty much hungry again, like an hour, hour and a half later. So, but if we eat something that's good, healthy fat and some healthy protein that takes longer to digest and has more bioavailable nutrients, um, then we stay satiated. We're less likely to really feeling like we need to eat over and over again just to kind of feel satisfied. Yeah, that's the absolute truth. I know for me, if I eat a protein bar or something that sort of my body burns through really quickly, I'm hungry, almost more hungry after I eat it than if I just didn't eat it at all. And so uh, a good practice to do if you're traveling with your family is like, let's say we have an early morning flight. Um, I take care of getting the baby ready and that task is delegated to me and Thosh will take care of taking that extra time to cook us breakfast. Even if it's like four o'clock, five o'clock in the morning, we got to get to the airport. Uh, just a quick eggs and some kind of meat. And it really helps our morning um, as we get to the airport. And then we're not going through those little convenience stores, uh, buying snacks that sort of don't make us feel good anyway. So just taking a few extra minutes to get a breakfast in before you hit the road early or before you um, get on your flight. And if you do have a little bit of extra time, it's really important to pack snacks that are going to be also satiating. Be familiar with where you're traveling to. Uh, for example, for us, uh, a drive that we make frequently is going from Phoenix to LA. Um, and it so happens that that's kind of a desolate drive in the middle of that highway. There's like one major stop, um, before you get to Palm Springs and it's just like uh, a big gas station that has a lot of really unhealthy options. So we know when we're on that drive, it's going to take us about seven hours cause we have a baby who has to make stops. Um, 
we know that we need to pack food in Phoenix before we go on the trip. Because in Phoenix, we have a lot of healthy grocery stores we can go to. And if we don't pack anything, we're going to be hungry. Because another rule that we have is that we don't do fast food. It's absolutely outside of the realm of our food culture. And so since we are uh, limited to those options, you got to pack uh, some satiating snacks and be prepared for those before you leave. So sometimes uh, we cook something and we'll bring it in little containers. Or if it is kind of more snack food, we try to make it whole foods like dried meats, fruits, vegetables, avocados, nuts. Um, again, avocados are something that we don't frequently purchase because they're not always environmentally friendly, depending on where you live. Um, but that goes for all food choices. We try to stay environmentally friendly. So long story short, know where you're traveling to know if there are cities or towns along the way that are going to have healthy options. And if not, make sure that you pack those healthy options before you go so that you never get so starving that you feel like you have to stop at fast food because fast food is for us something that is never a part of our food culture. And we, we would rather fast than go to fast food. And uh, we understand that for many people that can be a huge adjustment and it can sound um, almost impossible to think of the idea of a road trip or traveling without fast food because it tends to be an easy and quick option for a lot of people. But remember that the wellness journey is all about trying to slowly but surely make those changes and removing fast food from your family's lifestyle could be a huge uh, positive step toward the direction of wellness. Yeah. And even when you're about to fly somewhere, we always get on Google and we search what kind of restaurants or grocery stores are in that area. And whether it's a rural area or an urban area, we always do a little bit of research and find out ahead of time. So like Chelsea said, before a road trip, we always stop at the grocery store and bring stuff. For instance, um, last week we went up to Sedona just to hang out with some friends there. And we brought with us our own cooking supplies and we brought some some seasonings. We brought some of our own wild meats. We brought some bison and some deer meat. And we brought some uh, autumn beans and other types of dry foods. We just brought our own foods up there with us and brought our seasonings and things like that. So that way we would have to access to those to cook there instead of going out to a restaurant all the time. And we travel a lot. So a lot of times when we travel, we do eat out a lot. So any chance we get to not eat out and to eat in a kitchen, our own food, we, we take that opportunity. So that's one thing you can do as well as pack all of your, your condiments, things such as your, your sea salts, your olive oils or, or grass fed butters or, or, or coconut oils, whatever it is you cook with, bring your frozen meats, bring your, your jerkies and, and things like that. Uh, you might even bring cooking utensils and travel skillets, all that kind of stuff, or bring your own cast iron pan <laughs> if you can. And on our summer road trip, that's what we do. We'll bring a couple of big bins with, with all that stuff. So we're prepared. And this is good, especially if you're going to be going and staying in an Airbnb for, you know, four or five, six days and it's got a kitchen. Or sometimes what we do is we, when we choose a hotel, we choose one that's got a little kitchenette. And so, such as last summer on a road trip, we posted about that too. And we went to the grocery store. So when you're there, you can also do that. You can say, let's take a little trip to the grocery store. Let's grab some stuff to, to cook in, in the, the little kitchenette in the hotel. 
we haven't done it yet, but we've come across other people traveling and they bring like an instant pot and a pressure cooker themselves, you know, uh, so that way they can cook, you know, their foods with them. So that's something you might consider as well if you have one. And from what I've heard, they say that those are often not allowed in hotel rooms. So hide it from housekeeping if you bring your, right. your instant pot with you. But honestly, I mean, I think the reason that you know, it's probably some kind of fire hazard a little bit. So yeah, you have to be careful, but I think hotels want you to just buy food from their restaurants. So I don't know though, you know, it's, it's, it's important to be empowered and, and cook your own food. And so we encourage that. Do your thing. If that's, if that's a part of, of how you cook. The other thing to consider with travel eating and honestly, this kind of applies to being at home as well, is that this, this American um, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, three square meals a day, several snacks in between, and then a midnight snack, that's, that's a very um, Americanized and post-colonial schedule of eating. And you don't have to follow that. Our ancestors often ate very differently, um, you know, and it would vary uh, time to time and depending on the season and depending on what was available. But oftentimes people would fast in the morning when they wake up and then they would have some kind of hearty, satiating um, thing to eat when they were kind of going about their day and doing their working. And then maybe they would eat one big meal between, you know, in kind of like the afternoon period. And then they would be able to fast again for another few hours. So that's just one example. There are a bunch of different ways that you can do it, that you can do fasting and that our people have done it. But just keep in mind, you don't have to have three square meals a day. You don't have to associate heavy carbs with breakfast. Um, you can do things differently. Uh, for us, um, you know, I'm a person that likes to fast in the morning. I don't like to eat a heavy meal right away. And kind of the exception to that rule is when we do have an early morning flight, I do kind of force myself to right away load up on some eggs and meat so that I'm not um, carb loading right after that. But, or, you know, snacking all day in the airport, but there are different ways of eating. So just keep that in mind and consider a fasting period. Yeah. And that's something that I like to try to do. And when I go to the airport, because there's not a lot of good options at airports many times. So, you know, I'll just fast. I'll make sure we eat in the morning and I'm just going to fast until we can go through, you know, the airport, we go to the flight and then we get the rental car, then we get settled. Then, you know, usually it's several hours later and it's, I'm hungry and it's time to eat again. And we get on and we find a restaurant or somewhere where we can pretty much get some meat and veggies. And so, um, you might consider that you might consider just kind of fasting. And if you are one that already does time restricted eating or intermittent fasting during the day, um, it's really a good time to really apply that when you're, when you're traveling, um, that keeps us, um, from wanting to venture into eating things that you know, we, we, we normally wouldn't. So that always works really well for me. And especially on the road trips too, because when you're on a road trip, it's easy to just have some kind of snack and start eating. And believe me, if I have a bag of blue corn chips next to me and I'm driving, I'll clear that whole bag, you know, I'll eat that whole thing. <laughs> so, you know, I, it's something that I try to practice too, when I'm, you know, taking a, a road trip, you know, four or five, six hours, you know, just to kind of fast, or maybe I just have a drink, you know, or something like that. Or if I do have a snack, maybe I'll have some jerky or some nuts or something like that. So, and sometimes it's all in the mind. Like if you tell yourself, man, there's nothing available 
on this highway. Oh, I'm so hungry. There's nothing to eat. Then that's going to be really hard. But if before you go, you consciously tell yourself, I'm going to eat a healthy breakfast, then I'm going to fast until I arrive at my next destination. Then you're in a fasting mode and you've prepared your mind for that. And then it doesn't make you like angry and hangry. So it's, uh, it takes a little bit of practice, but, um, you can try that out. And then again, of course, just to reiterate, when you do pack snacks, make them whole, healthy, satiating foods. And I just want to give one example. A mistake that I often make is I kind of do let myself get too hungry. And then I resort to a protein bar, like a power crunch or a macro bar or something. And then, um, you know, my sugar kind of spikes and I feel satisfied for maybe five minutes and then I get hungry right away. On the other hand, if I'm prepared with a satiating snack. I'm a breastfeeding mom. I have to, you know, have, have something satiating with me often. If I'm prepared with a bag of like raw walnuts, blueberries, um, and maybe some dried meat of some sort, I am way more satisfied and way more satiated than if I had, you know, just given into that protein bar. So, uh, being prepared is really important if you are going to be snacking. So what happens if you go to a restaurant or you go to a town that doesn't necessarily have super healthy options, quote unquote, um, Thosh and I often travel to really rural areas. For example, uh, several times we've made the trip from North Dakota, where I'm from, driving all the way down to Arizona. We pass through states like South Dakota, Wyoming, places where you're not going to find a Whole Foods every two miles. And um, how do you choose a restaurant in that uh, in that environment? And then how do you choose um, a healthier option to eat at that restaurant? Uh, we'll get into that a little bit. Thosh, what is your method? What I like to do is that when I go to sit down at a restaurant, what many people don't realize is that you, you can make a customized order. Um, for instance, last summer, I really uh, was was uh, practicing this and I was, you know, uh, having fun doing it every time I sat down at a restaurant. But say, for instance, you go somewhere and they got some sort of uh, meat, then they have like a mashed potato or then they have like a like some sort of rice or rice pilaf. Then they have like a side of uh, seasoned vegetables that's that's seared. And then maybe they give you an option of a soup or a salad. What I usually do is I'll take the meat. I'll tell them to, to, maybe I don't want potatoes this time. Maybe I don't want something that's high carb. Maybe I'm just want to get my carbs from the seasoned vegetables. So I'll say, can I have double of those seasoned vegetables? And then they'll say, okay, they'll do that. They'll say, would you want toast or this and that? And I usually pass on the toast and they'll ask, oh, do you want salad or soup? I usually take the salad uh, because a lot of times if they give soup, it's like high sodium, you know, like I'll, I'll eat their soup and I get done. My mouth's dry. Or full I, of I gotta, dairy. Yeah. Or full of dairy and I'm, and I'm tearing it up after. For eh? some reason, everywhere in the Midwest, like any kind of soup is full of milk and cream. Yeah. It's crazy. That tears up my gut. So, you know, I always, I always uh, abstain on the soup and I'll say, give me the salad. Then they ask, okay, what kind of ranch, what kind of dressing do you want? I said, I don't want ranch. Do you have olive oil in the back? Um, and they'll say, oh, okay. Yeah. So then they bring that and I'll put a little bit of olive, olive oil on my, on my greens and I'll put some, uh, some sea salt on there. And then you have it customized. 
Sometimes it, you can even, you know, ask for the burger without the bun. And that's pretty common these days. And so if that's, if your body is, is needing that, then you can add that. Sometimes um, what I do feel like I need a little bit of extra carbs, you know, and they're not, they're not bad. You need them. But uh, sometimes I'm always trying to eat lean. But there's many times where I say I need to, I need to do a, a carb loading phase. I need to do a refeed. And so I'll take that rice or I'll take. Um, you know, the mashed potatoes or something like that. But you can always customize the order. You can always ask them, can you leave this out? Can you add that in there? Um, you know, sometimes I think last year when I went through Moab, Utah, um, I asked if they can, there was a steak sandwich and salad. I asked if they can take that bun out and put the steak on the bed of the greens. And they kind of, the woman kind of looked at me funny, but they did it. You know, so it's possible to do that. You can totally do that and stay on track um, eating anywhere. Yeah. And basically like what we'll search for on our phones is like if there's a diner or a steakhouse, um, you know, places that let's say in Phoenix wouldn't necessarily be our first choice to eat like yeah. Texas Roadhouse or like Applebee's, Applebee's or something like yeah, that. One time, remember we, we stopped there and I just <laughs> got some broccoli and steak. And yeah. That was it. These are restaurants that you're going to find all over the Midwest that, um, like I said, probably wouldn't be our first choice in Phoenix, but, um, you know, you can definitely find some healthy and affordable options. If you customize your orders, say no, thanks on the big, thing of bread that they bring you in the beginning, um, you know, say no thanks to all of the super carby sides. And here's the thing, uh, the food that they bring you isn't going to be perfect. The meat is probably not going to be grass fed. No. The vegetables are probably not going to be organic. Um, they're probably not cooking everything in olive oil. They're probably cooking, you know, using vegetable Hydrogenated oil. oil. And, um, but here's the thing. It's still better than going for an option that's going to be completely deep fried or completely full of carbs. Uh, so just do your best when you go uh, to those places. And, you know, if you live in the Midwest and you're searching for uh, restaurants to eat out at and ways to eat healthy um that's, that's what we do. So you can use that tip even at home where you live. Yeah. And I know this may be controversial for a lot of people because a lot of people, they think, oh, you go to somewhere like Applebee's and they're going to, you know, that's, that's, that's like standard feedlot beef. And we know that there's a lot of controversy surrounding that with, you know, how the animals are treated or the, the large eco footprint that industrial agriculture has. And this isn't something that we support at home. We don't typically go and buy standard feedlot beef, um, you know, or uh, go to restaurants oftentimes that serve that. But you know what? Like Chelsea said, I'm going to eat that. It's not going to hurt me this time. And my participation in it isn't going to be devastating to the environment. And I think there's a lot of fear mongering surrounding this eating uh, food that's not grass fed, that's not organic. Um that's not, um, you know, coming from a, a, you know, a regenerative agricultural farm or something like that. There's a lot of fear mongering around that, you know, and I think that that I just disagree with that. And so these are better options than not getting any nutrients at all. In some cases, these are better options than like what Chelsea said, than going through a fast food restaurant, you know, and getting something that's deep fried hydrogenated oil or relying upon, I'm just going to snack. You're eating all these so-called gluten-free uh, processed foods or so-called vegan foods or so-called keto processed foods. Again, when we're eating any type of processed food that's coming out of a bag or a box, it's, you know, there's going to be just as much preservatives and other things in there as well that, you know, may not be the best for us in the long run if we're constantly eating that again if i snack a lot i'm not satiated 
and I'm, I'm still hungry and I'm still trying to snack in, until I feel better. So that's why I just say, you know what? <laughs> we'll go through that Applebee's and I'm going to get that steak with some broccoli. Yeah. I noticed that if I eat processed snack foods too much, I also get like my digestion gets all messed up. I, I always feel a little bit bloated or constipated for like several days. It takes me a long time to get my, um, my gut back in order. And as we know, gut health is everything. It's going to impact your skin. It's going to impact your energy, your ability to think clearly, your immunity. Man, everything begins with the gut. Um, that's a whole other topic for another day. But remember these snack type foods, even if they're branded, like Tosh said, as vegan or gluten-free, um, are going to mess with your gut. And so eating real whole foods as much as possible. And I know um, for some people, it's going to sound crazy to go into a grocery store and kind of like munch on some spinach and find some smoked salmon and use that for your snack as opposed to a Hershey bar. But trust me, it's going to feel a lot better and keep your energy up and you need energy while you're traveling. Yeah, that's one thing that we've done too. Last summer, we were stopping even at a Safeway. You know, you go to some rural areas and the only thing is, is a Safeway. And we just go in there and grab a bag of spinach and then grab some of that that packaged smoked wild Alaskan salmon. And, and again, we don't typically buy avocados at home, but when we go in the grocery store on travel, I may take one because that's, you know, more uh, satiating again. You know, we grab some berries um, or some nuts, things that I typically don't eat that much at home. But you know what, when you're on the road and you're going to go through the uh, uh, grocery store, it's possible to do that. Last summer, I went from Arizona all the way to North Dakota over like about a four or five day period. And I didn't eat at a restaurant once. And my buddy Martin was with me too. And he was on that tip and we didn't eat at a restaurant once. And I remember a few, a few summers back, we went to, uh, we Bad took, River, yes. Wisconsin. Yeah. I we went to Bad River, Wisconsin. And, you know, we drove up there from, uh, we flew in somewhere and, and drove the whole trip was about five days. We didn't eat at a restaurant once that whole time. We were just going to the grocery store and picking up the best options we could. We actually hit a deer <laughs> Remember that we hit it yeah. and then the guy behind us happened to be um, one of the, the uh, facilitators there of that gathering and he went in there and strung it up and, and, and field dressed the deer and the next day we were eating, eating that deer. <laughs> but yeah, so it's possible to travel and not always have to just go from restaurant to restaurant. I just want to also encourage people to get their taste buds used to real and whole foods as opposed to these really strong flavorful um, snack foods. One time we um we had um our little cousins with us on a trip that we were doing and we brought them into a natural grocers and they <laughs> literally they were so cute they were they were looking around walking up and down the aisles and they kind of didn't want to say anything but they were literally confused like they didn't recognize anything that was in natural grocers and they were like um can we go to a gas station and get hot Cheetos. And we kind of <laughs> chuckled and we we're like, yeah, you know, it, it was a one-time thing. So, you know, we, we kind of brought them over and let them pick out the snacks that they were comfortable with because they were already far away from home and were eating healthy meals with us through the rest of the, the trip and stuff. But 
Anyways, the point is our kids, ourselves, we're so accustomed to these other, you know, convenience store snacks like Doritos and Hot Cheetos and uh, all the sodas and all the candies and stuff like that. Uh, We really do have to train our taste buds out of that. And trust me, I grew up eating all those same kind of crazy snacks and fast food and I had to train my taste buds out of it. And um, little tricks like, for example, yeah, if you eat a handful of walnuts on its own, it's going to Eh, it tastes pretty bland. Um, if you throw in some berries, some fresh berries and kind of munch on a walnut, then a berry and a walnut and a berry, and you kind of eating them together, it tastes really good and really satisfying. Um, that's just one example, but you know, get your taste buds used. And then Thosh, um, one of, if, if we, if he is eating nuts for a snack, which he doesn't very often. A lot of times he'll go for the um, raw unsalted cashews, which have a a subtle sweetness to them. And so for him, if he has a sweet tooth, that's something that he'll go for. And then um, after seeing him do that, I realized that it works for me too. So um, just little things like that, getting your taste buds out of the zone of ultra flavorful things will really help you in the long run. And whether you're traveling or not, that's something that we should be practicing. And also too, if you're traveling to some sort of conference or gathering, uh, you'll notice that a lot of times, you know, they'll serve breakfast in the morning, eight, you know, eight, eight, like 7.30, 8 a.m. they serve a breakfast with registration, then they have the opening. And then a lot of times they serve a snack right away like around 10.30, they'll serve a snack. And then sometimes, you, you know, they'll bring out these platters where they got all these pastries and they have all this fruit. And then um, then they serve, you know, lunch at, at noon squared. It's always like that everywhere. Anytime you travel to some kind of gathering or conference, they serve, you know, lunch around that time. We always refrain from picking up the snacks. And I know they're there and it's hard to sometimes um, avoid them. And I think people just get up and they start, you know, kind of hurting over to the, to, to the snacks because it's habit, because it's habit. And so, but just as we talked about earlier, if we're eating every couple of hours, we're never giving our di- digestion a rest to really clean up shop, our, our large and small intestine. And we're keeping our insulin high. And this may not be good for a lot of people. And and so this is something to consider. So when a lot of times when we go to those gatherings, we'll have the breakfast and then sometimes we'll have the lunch um, or sometimes we skip the breakfast and we're really going for the lunch. And then a lot of times at these gatherings, they'll serve like another snack again, like around two, two thirty ish. And then everything ends and then they, they may serve a dinner. So there's food all day long. And again, these are foods that are most of the time they're high carb food. This could be like a native health gathering and they're still serving this kind of stuff. So I, that's something that, um, we personally like to really consciously, you know, stay away from snacking all day and we'll just have, you know, one solid meal in the morning or one solid meal in the afternoon. Um, and then again in the evening. Yeah, that's definitely true. You got to watch, um, watch the snacking and stuff at conferences. But that being said, major shout out to some of the conference planners and native communities lately who have been making major headway and efforts toward changing this. Um, you know, one, one, big example that comes to mind is when we do our big youth uh, Native Wellness Warrior Camp with Native Wellness Institute in the summers, there is a major commitment to serving all home-cooked real foods 
mostly indigenous foods to the hundreds of youth that come to that camp. And that's a really big effort, but they do it there. So shout out to Native Wellness Institute. And then also we've been to a number of different conferences lately that have really made efforts into incorporating indigenous foods. Um, NB3 Foundation has done it. Um, you know, um, we've seen um, our friend Sean Sherman really going around the country and helping organizations figure out how to do indigenous foods on large scale. And that's awesome. And so keep those efforts going, not just one time, but make that the norm again at uh, conferences and and work gatherings, because that's really important. Yeah. And I'll shout out to a couple years back or last year sometime, we went out to Duck Valley and they're a small community in Nevada in a rural area. We went there and they were serving wild meat. They had squash, they had salad, and they didn't have soda or juice. They served infused water with mint and lemon and cucumber. And that's, you know, that's easy to do. That's pretty typical and pretty common. And, you know, we encourage if you're a, a gathering organizer or a conference organizer, we encourage you to try to take those routes if, if you can. And it doesn't always cost a lot of money. And like we said, right there in Duck Valley, you know, they didn't, they're not a community that's, that has a lot of money and they're in a rural area and they managed to pull it off. So it's possible to do that. These are things to, to consider, especially for many of the people in our populations who are diabetic and have to watch their, their sugar intake. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And whether we're talking about conferences or your personal food choices while traveling or whatever it may be, your day-to-day -day food choices, the important thing to remember, again, is it's not just about you know weight loss or how it's going to make you look or whatever. Food really impacts our bodies holistically in every sense of the word. It impacts our productivity. So food um, is going to change the way that you feel. It's going to change your emotional wellness. Uh, it's even going to impact your spiritual wellness. All of these different areas are impacted by our food choices. So these are the reasons that we have to prioritize it. If you have children, the food that you feed your children is going to impact their behavior, everything. It's going to impact their, um, their development, their neurocognitive development. So um, this is kind of why we emphasize making the right food choices while traveling and really making efforts toward that. And just to, again, reiterate, these are not practices that Dasha and I have always known or have always grown up with. We have had to really learn a lot about food in the past couple of years. So if we can do it, anybody can do it and just um, approach that with, with your mentality. Yes. And another thing you can make a conscious effort in doing is when you're traveling to someone else's territory is that try the foods from that area. When we go to the Pacific Northwest, we want to, we want salmon. We want smoked salmon. We want dried salmon. We want to try all that. We want to try other types of, you know, seafoods such as, um, you know, clams and mussels and other things that, you know, that all of our, our relatives on the coast make. And we go to the Great Lakes. We want to get wild rice. You know, we go out east to Iroquois country. We want to have some type of Iroquois corn soup, you know, some Iroquois corn bread, uh, you know, and some wild meat. And so you really, that, that's a way to really connect yourself to that land and you learn a lot about the land and the people in that region when you're engaging in their foods ask the stories that go with their foods you know you learn a lot about that and so it's it's really grounding for that that location as well
Okay. And then of course, um, in addition to food and spirituality, we also need to focus on our movement and keep our bodies going while we travel. This can be really tough if you're in a car all day long, or if you are in an airplane or whatever it may be, um, you know, you get really stiff, you sit there and you actually need movement more than ever. But at the same time, it's extra difficult to get that movement in because you're rushing around and you're in a confined space. So we're going to talk about some different ways that you can incorporate movement while you are on the road. Yeah. And a lot of times when we get on the road and we're driving for several hours, it, we need to take breaks anyways, because we have a toddler and she wakes up and wants to get out of her car seat. She needs a movement break. So we take out, so we stop at a, at a rest stop and we get out and we do some, some type of like dynamic hip movements because, you know, our hips get tight from just sitting there, you know, hamstrings get tight from just sitting there. And I hold a lot of tension and stress in my hips from doing strength training and training and power so that's one thing we always do is is take a movement break stop at a rest stop or even just stop down a dirt road where there's a beautiful scenery step outside take some breaths air you know a breaths of, of clean fresh air take in the view of what what you're seeing and just absorb the gifts that that land has right there and move your body a little bit consciously move your body as they say now sitting is the new smoking and so if you can help it Take movement breaks when you're on your road trips. And and if you're on a long flight, like there's times to have been, you know, on long flights across overseas and, you know, across the country and get up every every so often. Get up and take some laps, walk up and down the hallways, stand in the section where there is the bathroom and do some stretching a little bit. Stand there, do some calf raises or something like that. Get your heart rate up just a little bit. And some people even have a timer where every hour they'll get up and they'll do this. So um, that's something you might consider when you're on a long flight as well. And of course, when, when you're traveling, whether you're staying at a hotel or an Airbnb or a friend's house or you're camping, exercising is it's important that we understand the basic human movement patterns. So that way you can just work with your body weight because you may not always have access to equipment. And so understanding the body's lunging patterns, the variations associated with lunging, different squat variations, hip hinging variations, rotating your core, pushing your body, pulling your body, and of course, a gait like a jog or a sprint or a swift walk or a nice incline hike. Take advantage of learning about all those. Those are going to be very helpful on the road. Many times we go into a hotel and all I have is 15, 20 minutes and I'll take advantage. We'll do something in a very short period of time. You might even say, okay, for one minute, I'm going to do squats many squats as I can in one minute. Then after that, I'm going to rest 10 seconds and then I'm going to push my body for one minute and I'm going to get as many reps as I can. You might do it on the ground if you're advanced or you might do it against the wall or you might even do it um, with your hands up on a desk or a bed to give yourself a little bit more um, assistance. So you might do that for one minute. Then you say, you know, I'm going to do a core exercise for one minute. You might hold a plank. You might do some type of crunch variation for one minute. And then you stand up. Then you say, I'm going to do some kind of lunge variation for one minute. Then you have yourself a little full body circuit right there. And what you can do is rest one minute. Hey, do it again if you got another four or five minutes. So it is possible to get an exercise in with just your body weight in as little as 10, 15, 20 minutes. And if you do yoga and you also are probably very familiar that you can do short flows to power flows as well in that short period of time. 
So with movement, yes, you can focus on strength, moving your body weight, and you might also focus on mobility and flexibility. Remember, they're, they're two different things. And so a lot of times that's what I'll do too is in the morning is I'll just do a dynamic body movements, like a dynamic warm up, where I'm just moving my body in different angles and I'm focusing on creating more mobility in my ankles and my hips. Because a lot of times, as I said earlier, when I travel, those areas tend to get tighter and I hold stress in those areas too. So I like to also take a moment to do some sort of hip mobility and stretch a little bit as well. And then last but not least, keep in mind that while you're traveling, try to incorporate some kind of movement exercises or activities into like your free time or your social life, whatever it is that you're doing, whether you're on vacation or whether you are at a conference for work or whatever it may be. Um, Usually when we travel, we do have some free time to do something. A lot of times people use that time to go shopping or they use that time um, different ways, meet up with friends, uh, try going for a hike in the area. That's what we always do. Try finding a park and going for a nice walk. These are the kind of things that you should just be incorporating into your day-to-day lifestyle anyway. And it's all the more fun when you're able to find areas to do those things while you're on the road because you're seeing something new. You're getting to know the land where you're at. Um, These are the kind of things that we really encourage people to do. What we'll also do is we'll pack the steel mace. We'll pack the kettlebell. Um, One time I've packed the whole set and and threw in the battle ropes in the back, you know, a heavy med ball. And if you bring even just one kettlebell with you on the road, that is very helpful as well too. So you might consider doing that. And of course, anytime you're traveling anywhere, it's always important to acknowledge the territory that you're upon there and to be in a reverent way, to be respectful, to be in a good, a, a good, a good visitor to that territory. So a lot of times what we'll do is we'll go and we'll make a little offering to that land there and acknowledge those ancestors that are around there and acknowledge those people that are on that area. And, and so this is good too. Even if you're a non-native person and you're listening to this, it's always important to do that too, is understand that when you go out and, and do recreational hiking or any type of outdoor activity um, in the mountains or, you know, out on the lake or near a river or in the prairies or the desert, you're on the territory of people that have been walking there for millions of years before um, many before America was uh, was settled as it is today. And so even if you just stand out there in the land and you use your own mind and you consciously say that I want to acknowledge that this territory I'm standing upon, acknowledge that territory of the Salt River people here in the Phoenix Valley. And I'm going to act in a good way. I'm not going to go and graffiti and draw on the rocks and etch my name on there, etch the year. I'm not going to go and take a bunch of things from there. I'm not going to pick up a bunch of rocks and move them or leave my trash behind. So this is an important thing to do uh, for all of us human beings. And this is something that we like to do ourselves. Yeah. So that's a perfect example of the interconnectedness of our wellness journeys. When you travel someplace, you no matter where we go, right, we're on indigenous territory. And so learning about that place uh, through the lens of our ancestors, respecting the land, um, eating food that is local, that is truly nourishing, that is from the land, um, getting out and rather than spending all your time at the mall, not that it's wrong to go to the mall, but just um, in addition to that, also maybe trying a hike 
or a nice walk somewhere and getting to know the land, putting down some tobacco. These are the kind of things that are really going to impact our holistic wellness in the long run and that will really re-empower us. So these are our travel wellness tips and we hope that something we said sparked interest or um, made you feel like, okay, I can try that or yeah, that sounds like something new to me, something that, um, that I might try to incorporate with my family next time that we're on a road trip. Always remember that there's no judgment in wellness. This is a big journey. Sometimes making these changes can be a huge step for a lot of people, but just try one thing at a time. And the main thing is to constantly observe how much better you feel when you are incorporating and rejuvenating your wellness practices, because it's all about um, feeling good, knowing that you deserve wellness and knowing that we have the ability to re-empower ourselves as indigenous people, families, and communities. So we wish you all the safety and good health on your travels. Keep those immune systems up enjoy getting to know native country and just as we have done over the years thanks